You're listening to Teaching STEM for Real, a podcast dedicated to for real conversations on educational equity in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics education. I'm your host, Dr. Lena Bakshi McLean, STEM education disruptor, justice advocate, certified ruffler of feathers, and a wannabe comedian. I'm also the founder of the nonprofit STEM for Real. If you want to explore what anti-racist and socially just instruction looks like in our classrooms, schools, and beyond, for real, you're in the right place. Let's dive right in. Dr. Honey Sacro-Swem does not shy away from saying that mathematics and teaching are her passions in life. Get your tissues ready. She had me in my feelings. Dr. Honey comes from a family of teachers and was reluctant to join the field of education. Well, thank God she did because the story she shared melted our hearts. Her mother was an English teacher and two of her sisters are also teachers. It's clearly in her blood. She taught for 22 years before becoming a full-time induction support provider and instructional coach, and is now the coordinator for elementary instruction for Fontana Unified School District, which is a role she holds today. Recognized by UC Davis as a C-STEM innovator in her district, Dr. Honey takes pride in helping teachers build student confidence in STEM and use culturally relevant practices to increase engagement. In this episode, Dr. Honey tells us how a positive STEM identity truly stems from the elementary years, no pun intended. Let's go into the show. Well, welcome, Dr. Honey Sacro-Swem. I am looking so forward to this conversation, especially as we talk about the the status of elementary and elementary education and how we can really create a STEM identity for our students, you know, stemming from elementary, you know, no, no pun intended. And I, we couldn't be happier to have this conversation with an elementary expert right here as yourself. So Dr. Honey, welcome. I'd love to hear about you and and your journey. How did you get to where you are? Okay, first, I'm not an expert. (laughs) You know, if I I claim as an expert, then there's no more growth. So I really, really avoid them. Thank you though. Thank you for your kind words. Um, Like the journey as a teacher, you mean? As a a teacher, so? Yeah, you know, as as a teacher, as an educator. Okay, so. I come from a family of teachers. My mom was an English teacher and um, I, I would check her papers <laughs> as a fifth grade student. <laughs> I, vowed, I vowed to her and to myself that I will not become a teacher. And she didn't, she, didn't really dis, she didn't really encourage me to become a teacher. She said, you'll do what you have to do. So I, I said I was going to be the fourth um, woman in actuarial, in actuarial studies in the Philippines, because there's not many back then. I would have been the fourth one. And I said, I'm going to into mathematics. And she didn't, she didn't say anything. She just said, oh, you, you have to do what you want to do. So in the midst of all those math courses, there was an, a choice to have an elective and that was teaching reading for children, okay? 
So, you know, all the mathematics the whole day, and then here's a teaching reading. And the first time I walked into the classroom to teach a lesson, I, I just knew I was at home. I could not fight the genes. I don't know what it, I was just there and teaching mathematics and then I enjoyed it. I mean, reading and I enjoyed it so much. And that's why I had to shift. I shifted my major and became an education student instead. And, and, then, and then do you want me to share how I moved to the United States? Because I actually taught in the Philippines. I grew up there. I, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think it's so funny you mentioned that uh, the genetics, because I think I made the same vow too. Like I will never be an educator. And, you know, here I am going on decade number two. <laughs> so... So yeah, I'd love to hear. I don't know if it's nature and nurture or both combined. Does it make sense? Because you were, I'm sure you were exposed to that. And so you couldn't fight it when you were in the classroom. You just like, oh my gosh, I love this. I did. I did. <laughs> it was great. And I started my career in Fontana and you know, just just thinking about the identity and and like seeing um I come from a family of educators as well. And I remember saying, I will never do this. I do not have the patience. And here I am, like, I just fell in love with teaching math and teaching science and having those ahas. I'm like, darn, the genetics is real. So yeah, before I moved to the United States in 2003, I was actually, because my mom taught English. So again, I, I, instead of math, I really turned away from mathematics. And what I said was, I wanted to, to express myself. And you know how mathematics back then was just all numbers, all algorithm. And I just wanted to write poems. I wanted to read. So I became an English major, teaching an English teacher. So taught English at my, at my high school. And then I was offered a job at the international school. I'm not sure if you've heard of that. These are our children of diplomats in the Philippines. So um, love my work there. And then there was, um, my friend said, they were interviewing for jobs in the United States. So I went for the interview thinking, you know, do I even qualify? And I just, I just went for the interview to, uh, to find out if I qualified. And they offered me the job. But it took them a year, actually, to Fontana Unified School District, a year to convince me that um, to come here, to move. And I moved as a, the, the, my first job, of course, a new teacher is given the 4-5 combo class. And then the prince, the, the one who interviewed me in the Philippines, Darren Brawley, Dr. Darren Brawley, who is now the superintendent of Compton Unified School District. Um, when he interviewed me, I think he became a principal after that. So he said, I want you to be in my school. So I did. And so he was observing me teach mathematics one time. It's a, it's a fifth grade class this time. And he said, you're going to be my mathematics teacher. And I said, then you have to send me to trainings. So I did. He took care of me, sent me to trainings. And of course, it's almost like I found my love for math again, couldn't avoid that. And scores, you know, you know how it is CST back then, you're, they base it on how much, how much of your, how much percent of your students became proficient advanced. So I started with 54% back then, the highest was 45. And then it became 75% when I moved to Alder Middle School taught there. And then when I moved to Truman, it became as high as 97% of my class was proficient advanced. So I really wanted to stay as a teacher and then somebody said, hey, you know what, honey, you're gonna impact more students if you become a coach. So I like reluctantly left the classroom and I love being a coach too, so that's, that's good. And like I shared with you, like, um, I moved to the dark side, became an administrator in 2014 as an assistant principal first 
in Redlands Unified School District and then now present the coordinator of elementary instruction in Fontana. Um, like I said, not an expert, still a learning process for me, still a journey, learning every, a lot of things every day from coaches, teachers, and students, and from you. That, you know, and I, and I love, I love that you say that, you know, when we start off as teachers and we have that reluctance, we don't want to leave. You know, I never wanted to leave either. I never would have thought, I remember when someone said, why don't you get your administrative credential? And I thought, absolutely not. I would never, you know, never say never, just, just don't. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And We both said never become a teacher. So where are and we? Here we are. <laughs> and I, I think that, um, there is there's something to be said about being an administrator that that really just thinks about what our teachers are going through, what their lived experiences are, and and I I want to highlight what Darren Brawley said. You know when he he saw something in you that said you, I want you to be our math te- math teacher. What do you think he saw? Okay, so this was um, fifth grade class. I, it was inherited. I inherited this class. So this was a teacher who was leaving and became a counselor. So she had the class for two thirds of the time. I had it only for the one third. You know how it used to be trimesters. And I, I'm, I'm sure I was teaching about positive and negative numbers then. And the student made a mistake. So there was already a clamor for the class to correct. And I, I, I did a hand signal and say, let me find out, let, let, you know, uh, are you sure? We're not sure about this. So I just kept on asking the student uh, and then he, the student eventually realized his mistake. And I think that's more powerful than him telling me, than me telling him that he was wrong because right there and then there was an agency, he developed agency that I can figure this out on my own. And then I think this is one of my students was struggling in mathematics and I, he knew the student enough. I called him because I, I wanted him to, to, to share what his thinking was. And I validated this thing. I think that's what, what it was. I remember that because after that incident, he said, you're gonna teach mathematics in sixth grade, so. Wow, and, and you know, you're a very humble person. I know that from our work together. So I will brag for you, 95%. I mean, these, these test scores, they are not lying. What do you think? What do you think did it? Like, as you uh, were preparing your students, I have a feeling you weren't giving your students, uh, you know, uh, index cards to memorize. <laughs> you know, what, what were some of the strategies that you used to find your success? Interesting, because back then we didn't have the, we didn't, we, we didn't have a name for it, right? You know, the cultural responsive pedagogy, I had no name for it. I just knew, okay, first, when I meet a class, sixth grade usually I love sixth grade um, because it, it establishes the the you know the prepares them actually for algebra and I, I found it also too that seventh grade is a make or break by seventh grade if they're still not doing well in mathematics we lose them they've already given up so I really want to win them back to mathematics in sixth grade so the first thing I ask is who of you were told that you're not good at mathematics and you've got students raising their hands right and I don't say anything I don't say why and I don't ask why. And then, and then I said, who of you speak two languages? And almost the same number of students will raise a hand. Okay, good. Mathematics is a third language. We're all learning it together. And so that the confidence there is built. So I have students, um, I, I, I remember a student in particular. She said, she told me that 
she's not good at mathematics because her mom told her that she's a girl and she's not good at mathematics. Okay, yeah, it, 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 that's common. That is, by, by the way, not uncommon. It, many students say that from the onset. And I don't flinch. I don't say, you know, I said, I don't, I don't disagree with them that they've heard that, okay? What I disagree with them is that in this class, you will become a mathematician and you are one. And, and so little things like if there are self-doubts and then you give them the opportunity to develop that confidence. For example, they're scared of making mistakes. And so we celebrate mistakes. You know, there's a, my favorite no or my favorite mistake and we discuss that. And so it's, it, it, I think back then it was, I knew it was a safe environment for them to make mistakes and to learn. It was a community. There was no, comp, you know, they were not competing against each other. And I always told them that you were competing with yourself. You just become better and better each day. And of course, I learned recently that you aim to be 1% better each day. I love that there's a number now because I used to just be abstract and just become better. Um, and I, true story, there was a student in my class. This is supposed to be an honors class. And he was struggling and he tended to copy from his friends. And one time I, you know, you know, sat down with him and said, you know, you don't have to copy because you know this mathematics, you know, believe in yourself, you can do this. And so with a lot of practice, it's a lot of practice, of course, a lot of iterations, um, free conformative assessments, immediate feedback, and, you know, showing their thinking in different ways, drawing pictures and, and whatever, whatever strength the student has, we validate and they use that to, to show their understanding. So the student gradually was gaining confidence and you know how towards CST and then you kind of have to, you give them all these slew of questions so that they're ready for anything. And that's what I tell them too, by the way, I said, you are ready for the CST. You have everything that you need to learn to do well and to pass the CST. All you have to do is find it out on the day itself. And so that was like, you know, that way they, they get confidence and then take, you know, take your time because it's not time. I tell them, I, I tell my students, if it takes you the whole day to do this, test, I will be with you. So the student eventually was, the student that was telling, telling you that was cheating at first was now getting the right answers. Of course, I kind of like, you're, who, you, did you do this on your own? Yes, of course, of course, Amelia. I kind of like, because of my preconceived, which is bad as a teacher, but he said, yes, I did it. And so the student, you know how before we labeled them so sad, how you labeled them before is far below basic. That's embarrassing not to say that oh now. Oh my gosh, yes, And I'm telling yeah. you, this is for me goosebumps because I remember this quite well. The student became advanced. So he's, he jumped five, five, below basic, three strands up, levels up, yeah. And then that was for me an eye-opener that it is doable. The one thing too is, do you know that, that my, one of my students who said she wasn't good at mathematics is now a teacher in Fontana? Oh my gosh. I know, surreal, surreal, because I'm in charge of, of professional development, right? So I see this name. I, can, I think I can say her name, Kimberly Carlos, because she will, she will, she will want to speak with you as well one day. But I was like, this name is familiar, but you know, who am I to, maybe it's a common name, but it's not. And finally, one time I asked her, hey, did you turn this work? Because there's a certain work that I have to turn in at some point with a timesheet. And said, I'm sorry, I wasn't able to do it. I said, no, 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 take your time. Don't worry about it. And I said, by the way, did you by any chance go to Alder? And she said, did you used to teach mathematics? I said, yes. 
oh my gosh, it's like a full circle. And she sent me this, this message in Teams saying, you are the reason why I'm a teacher. You and the other teacher, we had teaching parts. I was a math teacher and, and she was, you know, Monica Larios from Alder. Yeah, yeah. Yes. We were, she was my teaching partner. She said, you and Mrs. Larios helped me become the teacher. And then she thanked me for things that I forgot. So she thanked me because she said, you, you believed in me and you gave me the money for a field trip. And I totally forgot that. I have a feeling it's an avid field trip and you know how they marginalize if they don't have the money to pay for it. And I felt so bad. And I said, you should go. I remember this now because when she told me, I said, you should go to this field trip. I, why aren't you going? I said, no, she was hesitant. And I said, whatever you need, I'll help you. And she never forgot that. I totally forgot about that. So she, I visited her already, gave her Starbucks one time, visited her and she told her students. So one day I'm going to give you Starbucks, just like my, what my teacher did. <laughs> And she inherited my whiteboards. You didn't tell me to bring my tissues on this conversation. Monica Lars and I were in tears when we found out. So I, I, she inherited my whiteboards. I had whiteboards in the classroom. I've been wanting to give it to somebody. And I, she inherited it. So I, gave, I just gave it to her like probably a couple of months ago. Wow. Uh, and, and, you know, I think uh, so many of the strategies that you discussed I'm not hearing, you know, I use the factoring method and I did this, like, I'm sure you did all of that, but the crux of, of your teaching, it sounds like you were a motivational speaker. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, I sounded like that too, too. I think it's basically, if you just believe in every student that they can do and they can, and I do tell them this will open doors for you. You know, um, yeah. It's just for me, mathematics is such a great impact on academic achievement which i found out i was back then by the way i was it it was an international school conference and i was back then as i told you i was a humanities teacher i taught integrated language arts and social studies so the 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 facilitator said so do you know who has the most impact on the academic achievement of a student academic success who among the teachers what content area so proud like i was kind of smoothies of course it's language arts what else, right? Isn't language the most important? You write, you read and all that. But back then I wasn't a math teacher yet. Um, and he said mathematics. I said, no. And this is the explanation because how many yeah. parents intentionally teach mathematics to the children? Most parents will read. Most parents possibly write to the students. But no, not many parents actually do mathematics with their students, with their own children. And so the academic, the teachers who teach mathematics actually have a greater impact. The next is science. And I saw that because we, I, I was at, back then I was already at Redwood Elementary with Darren Brawley as my principal. He allowed us to, to teach, um, like I would teach all the math classes and, and, and with, with an ELD class and all that. So, um, so we, we saw the, the growth in the students, including those English learners, you know, in that they're called now multi-language learners who had, um, who were, they call them the le basic level, the level one, they flourished in language arts when they, when they interacted with students who were also as good as they were in mathematics, because they're good at mathematics. And so we let them interact with the other students and they flourished in all subject areas. And I saw that myself. So, you know, kudos to math teachers and hopefully, you know, you, you know how important you are in science teachers you know how important you are in a student's academic success. 
Yes. Well, and continuing the kudos to you, UC Davis has named you <laughs> as a C-STEM instructional innovator. And, and I want to take a moment to, um, to quote you here uh, in this article. This is genuine committed learning, the willingness to learn from each other. It's just beautiful. Sadly, many students don't have a positive mathematics identity or have lost interest. CSTEM gives them learning experiences in which they practice multiplication and fractions in a meaningful context. They can also write stories through ro robotics. I can't take credit for this. It takes a village to make this happen. I mean, just summing up the work of connecting stories, connecting meaning, and, and marrying that to STEM instruction. Thank you. I mean, I, what I, so when we first started the, the system, when they, it was before, I first found out about it from a middle school teacher who, said, who told me, you know, the students used to hate mathematics. Now they look forward to it. And they said, whoa, <laughs> what are you doing? And so I found it with the system. So when, when UC Davis approached me and said, can they offer this in middle elementary? I said, by all means. And then, of course, we had the support of um, Superintendent Bassett and Allison O'Connor. Dr. Pomakovich did, not, you know, right away approved it. So that was also a blessing. You know, it's important for, for um, administrators to believe in the work as well. Because what can I do as coordinator? I can't call the shots for that because, you know, I can only um, facilitate conversations and help with, like, coordinate. I mean, hence my, my job. But really, the the administrators, the main administrators are the ones who also have um, are helpful in believing in the students and providing as much as help they can. And it's great because I see that, you know, as STEM for Real has come in and partnered with Fontana, so it, it has almost been seamless because of the systems that are already in place. Like there's work that your teams have done through um, culturally responsive teaching, through social justice, through um, lesson study. And so much of these, um, of these professional learning programs, they've really, you know, set the stage. And, and so here we are thinking about what this looks like for, for science and really leveraging our elementary coaches to take on science. And, and I think I can't help but think that science is this forgotten stepchild that, that doesn't get addressed, as unfortunately, in elementary schools. I was just reading here. 40% of elementary educators in California's public schools say they spend an hour or less teaching science each week, while more than half of elementary principals acknowledge their kids won't get a high quality science education by the time they go into middle school. And I just can't help but think like the drastic inequities for a student that may or may not get that access to science in elementary. Hi, it's Lena, and I want to tell you all about our STEM for Real network. In our network, our educators, or who we like to call NETIs, incorporate culturally responsive science and math teaching using lesson study. Visit us at www.stemforreal.org forward slash partnership. That's STEM number four real.org forward slash partnership and learn more about how your school or district can partner with us and become our newest Netty for real. So, yeah, I mean, I 
you got to give yourself credit for the work too. Because before we met you, um, Leonard, Mr. Fisher already gave a lot of commendations about you. And so, yeah, I mean, he, he said, Great. yeah, and, and Elizabeth Elliot too, that she used to teach in Fontana, so she knows the students and she, she knows their needs. And so we were actually looking forward to, to meeting you and Marie, I mean, telling us about STEM for real. And I, I would say, you know, one thing good about Fontana too is we offer science enrichment to grades four and five students. I mean, this team of itinerant teachers are science majors. They have single subject, they to be able to teach that class. You have to be a single sub subject science um, credential teacher. So they, they do the authentic um, science lessons. It's not as much, it's probably 40 minutes or yeah, twice a week, I believe, but it supports what the teacher does, the classroom teacher does. And hearing from them and then working with you closely that will even strengthen the, the, um, the science program for elementary. And I love the way that it's, it's being done because it's not just, oh, we have a science specialist, we have the science credential done, you know, like this is, we're really seeing this as a partnership between what the elementary teacher, classroom teacher does, and how the elementary classroom teacher can work in tandem with the science specialist, and not just say, all right, well, it's science time now. I'll focus on math and ELA. Yeah, of, yes, of course. That's one thing um, they're doing. And the elementary teachers are actually strong in integrating. And that's what we want to strengthen them to on, is to integrate. And then, you know, how, how can we um, integrate science with the language arts? Because that's what also we were working on, we are working on presently for the curriculum guide. We're doing the curriculum guide. We make sure that the science is integrated with, with language arts in both um, history of social science as well and definitely mathematics. So yeah, we're, 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 the goal is really to um, strengthen um, elementary teachers being able to integrate content areas. And I think that coming from an administrator's standpoint, it's difficult to focus on science because so much of the testing is on math and ELA, math and ELA. And, and again, science becomes that forgotten stepchild, essentially. Interestingly, because language arts actually is strengthened by reading content area materials like science and history of social science. So I think we're getting a better handle on that. You know, it's more, if, if they, students read meaningful um, literature, which is nonfiction and science and interesting um, phenomena and all that, they will be actually um, definitely increase their love for reading and increase their reading proficiency. So that's the, the one that Alison um, O'Connor is also moving towards, is to make sure you always integrate and use, you know, science materials and history, social science materials in the language arts classroom. And going back to um, this idea of identity, I think that as I remember, you know, reading about Einstein and Newton, of course, you know, pillars in science education. And I don't remember identifying with anyone in science. I think that there were a lot of conversations that occurred at home. Mm -hmm. However, not everyone may have those same conversations of, of, you know, pursuing science, pursuing computers, pursuing mathematics. Right. So, yeah, that's true. Um, which is great about cultural responsive pedagogy because now they're bringing to light 
you know, women of color in science and mathematics. And so our students can actually identify with them. And so that's also one of the things that we're trying to do as we gradually help the teachers, um, you know, address culture response pedagogy. And that's what we as a team are doing and letting them see that, you know, these are the other people in the field of mathematics and science. And then that way the students see themselves, you know, it's like the concept of mirrors and, and, um, and windows in literature. One of the things that, that came up in our work has been uh, working with the coaches to establish connections with a teacher so mm -hmm. that they can, uh, they can, you know, guide the teacher in choosing case study students. They can guide the teacher in, they, the coaches themselves can create a lesson plan or co-create a lesson plan. And I think that was something that was really important for us to to bring in as part of our training, because as coaches, sometimes we, we get further and further removed from the classroom and we lose that connection. So yeah, we appreciated the opportunity to be intentional about it. You know, I'm sure all the, all the coaches, these are like, these are your stellar teachers actually. Um, and then that's why they have the job that they have right now. And for you to encourage them to intentionally be, be with the teacher and go through this process. Of course, there's hesitancy because they're not, they're not proficient in the NGS standard yet, you know? However, I think when we, you emphasize that this is a learning journey, you know, you're gonna be learning partners with the teacher. I think that the buy-in increase, like the, that's right. I have to work closely with the teacher and learn with the teacher and then we will learn with each other. So it's genuine learning partnership of going through, um, and learning the NSS and using applying STEM for real in the process. Yeah, that's a good opportunity for the teachers and the, and the coaches. Yeah, and there's this idea that we have to be science experts before we teach science. And look, I'm going to be the first to admit it. I uh, I took AP Bio. I took all the AP classes. I went to Berkeley and I majored in science and, and biology. And I still don't know what's going on. I still make mistakes. And that's uh, science is evolving. We're, I'm constantly learning. And I love what you said earlier, where are we ever, I, I mean, I want to lean into us as being experts and I want to stay as a learner and constantly, you know, add to my own wonderings and noticings. Of course, you're too humble to say that. <laughs> Sorry, you're, you're towards a spectrum of expertise, so you can't <laughs> deny that with all, with all the science courses you've, you've had. But I love the way you um, facilitated the conversations with the coaches, by the way. You know, um, you came in and then you showed them all these resources. That was really helpful. And then you help them gain confidence and understanding. So I, I, with, with whatever you do, with the, with the PD that you did with um, coaches, and of course we look forward to, the, to more PDs from you, um, it actually piqued their interest. And now they're really wanting to learn more about it, which is a good sign for, for PD. You know, you just give them enough information and then they wanna learn more and then they wanna find out more information about it. So that's actually, you know, one of the purpose of doing a PD, not to give everything, but to give them something to think about. 
And well, and you know, I can't thank you enough. It really has been um, a great journey just seeing the transformations and, and we get to explore this some more. And of course, you know, we, we have our challenges, we have our areas of growth. And, and I think it's, it's great to just be able to just have these conversations uh, and, and continue to, again, shape what does it look like to be smart in STEM for our students, especially at the elementary years. And, and I wanna highlight something that you mentioned, and that was um, back to your student that was copying and you know wanting to get the highest grade. I, I can't help but think back to when I was a student in Fontana. And I remember I had a teacher that would post the grades mm. on, on the wall. And, and, and I mean, and it was by, by student ID number, but you know, you start learning who's who, you start, you, you start remembering. Exactly. And then I still, I still remember, I'm, you know, like, I, I I'm, I'm not going to lie. I, I would look at Marie's number. I'm like, okay, where is she? Where is she? And she was always one, one or two higher than me <laughs> all the time. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I was like, oh, I'm going to get her. I'm going to beat her. We have to beat her. And I think about just uh, that, that competition, right? Mm -hmm. Like I have to, we have to be better. I have to, well, let's anything I need to do, like going back to your student. Okay. Let's copy. Let's do this. Like I've got to win. And you're like, no, no, we're, we're a community. We're a family like that. You've just completely dismantled that idea of this competition and created a sense of community in your classrooms. So you're, you're, you're referring back to that reminded me of another student. So, so, um, one of the things too that I would do is, you know how it is with CST, it used to be like the standards, but now it's more like the big ideas. With Common Core, it's more big ideas. So that, again, that's another thing for rethinking. But it used to be a standard. So I would give like a spreadsheet of the standards for sixth grade with the students and they have like points of, you know, they check for themselves where they are. So it's really a self-assessment. So they become owners of their own learning or of their learning. So they, it was, they're going to put a, um, so for each semester, probably a quarter, they would put a line if they haven't achieved that standard, they put a check if they're okay with it, and a, a plus if they know they're very good at it, that they can teach it. And it's their own. I give them a copy. I give a Spanish version to the parents for those who need it, um, or yeah, those who need a, the, the, the translation. So we would, they would check that every time there's an assessment, they would check for themselves where they are, okay? Um, focusing on the standard. So for example... Um, I have individual um, conferences before before giving the grade. You know how when when you ask a student why did you get the grade, many of them said no, I don't know how. You know they don't know why they got the grade. So with this, my students, I show them the standards. I we look at their checklist and say, what do you think should your grade be this this quarter? And then tell me. And so I, if if it's too far off, you know, and then of course I have to explain why. And but for the most part, they're 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 spot on with their own grades right? Based on the standards that they reach for that particular quarter. Now, years later, when I became a coach, okay, I have this, I was in a classroom and I was coaching a mathematics teacher in the high school. One of his students was my former student in, in Alder, okay? Catherine Aro, I remember her. And then he told me, oh my gosh, Nani, do you know that I could actually hear your voice in Catherine's um, words? Why? Well, she's one of the top in mathematics, okay? So she got a 94 in a certain test, 
right? She goes, Mr. Davis, what's my, what's my grade? 94, don't worry about it. You're good. No, 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 no. What standard did I not achieve? Oh my gosh. It's like, well, number one, it was helpful as a coach. It gave me credibility. That's for sure. So I, I was just blown away. So which, which means when we teach them those, um, when you give them ownership for their learning, they carry it through. That was sixth grade. He, he, she was, she was in ninth or 10th that time. And she still had that, that thinking of what standard did I not achieve? Didn't care about the grade. Just wanted to know what else did she need to do to move forward in her learning. And I was like, okay, good. Wow. <laughs> so that was like, that's why it's important to, to give ownership for, the, for their learning. Yeah, I, I really, I, I really admire that, like just that, that learning to want to learn instead of, oh, we've got the CST, we've got the SBAC, we've got to do this. And so many of our educators are like, how do we prepare for the cast? Mm. And I'm like, it's, it's not you, you, good teaching. That's <laughs> good teaching, good instruction all year. <laughs> yeah. And then like, like I said, believing in themselves and be where the students are be where the students are and take them to where they have to be. And for me, that was the best definition of equity that came across is setting high expectations mm-hmm. and giving as much as support as you can to help the students reach those expectations. So for me, that's when I heard that as equity, I mean, definition of equity, I said, that's it. That's what I'm going to live for. Yeah. Yes. And I think that sometimes when we think about equity, we think, well, let's just, you know, let's just give everyone an A, Mm. you know, let's give everyone passing grades and Mm. and everyone will be happy. I don't have to deal with any conflict. And it's like, wait, whoa, what, where did you hear that? It's a disservice to the students though. It's Mm -hmm. a disservice because yeah, because students know where they are. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you know the, if you set the expectations for them and clear expectations, you know, these are the expectations and then let them know these are the things that you can do to help you get these expectations. And really, they, they, they develop agency. Mm-hmm. And having the expectations attached to their why, their passions, mm-hmm. and going back to that mm-hmm. idea of, of culturally responsive teaching, you get to know your students, yeah. you facilitate a culture, a community, and, and you bring these relevant and real experiences into the classroom that fosters more and more learning. Yeah, you have to know your students enough that when they are not feeling good about themselves, you can already sense. And then you, you, you give them grace for that day. Some of them will walk in very angry, for example, and you know you don't take that personally. You know, something happens. And you just say, you know what, I understand. Tell me when you're ready. Yes, yes. You know, I, your, um, your child is just a tad older than my 18 month old. I, <laughs> I know I, I have a ways to go, um, but just, you know, having, having children and being an educator, I think is, it's something that I've been thinking about a lot as, as my identity, you know, has changed over the, the last few years. And I think that one of the things that's so important to me is, is really just solidifying this identity. I, I mean, even my my newborn photos, I grabbed my giant TI-89 calculator and I said, you're a math person, <laughs> here you are. Like, hold that calculator. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> and, and that's because I know 
what I've seen how this this non-identity mm. essentially gets gets embedded in our students' heads, especially as a teaching math, teaching science. My students have told me, mm, Miss, mm. I'm not a math person, or mm, I don't think I'm Harvard material. Like, wait, what? What? You're 10. Like, <laughs> how are you framing mm. this? So you've heard of Joe Bowler? She said there's no math brain. Yes. So it's interesting how she said, because she's from Britain, she said, it's interesting in the United States how it's okay for people to say they can't do mathematics, but it's not okay to say I can't read. So she she actually she did like a viva la revolution she calls it and that everybody can do mathematics, you know. I mean, there's no mathematics brain. Everybody is able to do mathematics, just that everybody can read. I think that's that's also something that um, she talked about a lot and coming from another country I didn't realize how pronounced it is here because growing up I think we all believed we could do mathematics I'm not sure if it's because my mom is a teacher and, and there was no you know there was no you can't do math and you can't do English but we can do everything we can do all the subject areas content areas regardless so yeah as a mother by the way I'm not sure if you Please, I like want it all. To learn my secret. Not, not secret, but do you know that I have a, a journal for every every child? Oh. So you know how there's albums and all that, right? You know, but um, I do have a journal for every child since the way they were born and it's not too late for you. And um, I write them. It's like random letters or, you know, it just doesn't have to be big things. It can be like when I was sad or this is what you do at the milestones. I put little things of pictures and some souvenirs there but it's mostly journal and then I would give it to them when they're 18 and I didn't know the impact I didn't know the impact until my 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 eldest child 18 years old (laughs) she said when she first read it so and I that's not an original idea by the way I read it from somewhere if you remember there's a reader's digest and she said that she understood her mom because of that journal and I back then I was a young mom and said I'm gonna do this so yeah um, that's something that I, well, not consistently with my youngest now, but I, I have to kind of um, complete her journal because she's turning 18 soon. So, yeah. Wow. I, I love that idea. And I, it's funny because my mother-in-law did the same thing. She kind of passed down her journal to, oh. to me when I became a mom. And I was like, oh my gosh, all these things like, you know, first smile, first this, first haircut. And I think that that is so, it's so meaningful. And and I really do, obviously, I don't think our teachers can create a journal of, of, you know, each of their students, but they can do, but that's exactly what we want to capture. Even if it's just a little bit, somehow getting that connection to their students and using that connection, you know, to drive to drive their instruction. Because ultimately, we just want to be connected as humans, and our students love that. Yeah, there was um that in terms of that connection, um, there was a feedback that they said that helped students believe in themselves. And the feedback was, "I believe in you." You know, didn't put a grade. I just the, the teacher just said, "I believe in you that you can do this," and that the student. Um, when to accept more challenging um, problems, you know, like had this growth mindset and was willing to learn just because the teacher said, I believe in you. I think that's 
it's sometimes we take for granted. It's, we think students know that we believe in them, but I think we have to explicitly tell them, actually, I believe in you. I know you can do this. Wow. Wow. Well, you know what, Dr. Honey, thank you so much. This was such a fabulous conversation for me, for me to truly just see, you know, your secrets, what you have in your toolkit, how you teach, how you coach, and, and really just framing that identity that every student can learn. And as long as we believe in our students, and I, I truly appreciate this, this conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Lina, for this opportunity as well, because um, your work, I totally commend, and I hope you continue and persevere in it. What was that? I, I read, I read a book and it's called Die Empty. And it says, you know, sometimes you kind of, we kind of hesitate to do the work, especially if it gets harder. And what's his name? Todd Henry said, your contribution is not about you. She said, um, you have a unique contribution to make for the world. And it's really the process. You cultivate a love of the process. And that's the key to make, to making a lasting contribution. So um, kudos to Send for Real. I support you in whatever you do. And let me know how we can collaborate. And I'll help you in your work. Thank oh my you. gosh. Thank you. Yes. I'm going to remember those words when it gets hard. I'm, luckily, we've got this recording. So. <laughs> 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 oh gosh okay yes thank you okay, all right care. i'll stay tuned for the show notes and uh stay tuned for more thank you thank you for tuning in to teaching stem for real where as you can see we keep it for real for our stem educators if you enjoyed it make sure that you are subscribed for our future content and please leave us a five-star rating and review I hope you loved hearing about the why. And now let's talk about the how. Let's partner together and do this work. Visit our website at www.stemforreal.org forward slash partnership. That's stem4real.org forward slash partnership. Until then, keep teaching STEM for real.